Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. It is true, there are honestly just some things that are better together. My personal favorite, of course, being a Chipotle burrito and an ice-cold Coke Zero, a pairing that I am confident that God himself has orchestrated. But, but maybe at an ever-so-slightly deeper level, all of us people, human beings, we're actually better together. Every single one of us, no matter how introverted you may be, we have actually been hardwired for community. To, to experience deep, intimate relationship with our fellow image bearers. God designed us, he designed you, he designed me to flourish in community, not in isolation. But we're going to this morning dive into a lot of different whys, why community trumps isolation every single time. But one glaring way that I want to mention right here on the front end it is when the church, a community of people who are following Jesus, pool their resources together to accomplish far more than they ever could do alone. Now, to be fair, it isn't only churches that do this. I mean, there are plenty of other organizations and companies that do this as well. Churches just do it with greater frequency and, frankly, at a higher level. For instance, and if you've been coming to Grumlaw for really any amount of time, you've likely heard us talk about this. We as a church, we fully fund two border stations between Nepal and India in conjunction with an incredible organization called Our Daughters International. That the sole purpose of Our Daughters International is to rescue girls from human trafficking and oftentimes prevent that trafficking from even happening in the first place. And one of the reasons we have chosen to partner with ODI, this incredible organization, is their holistic approach to, to what is happening in our world. They have safe houses and counseling and job skill classes and financial loans to help these women start their own businesses so they can be self-sustainable and not even feel tempted to go back into that world. And of course, our favorite part, Jesus. Because of the trauma that somebody experiences in this world, we can't just say and cross our fingers and hope that these things are going to go away. It is only through the mercy, the kindness, the gentleness of their loving Savior because of Jesus that they can experience true healing. And this organization, it's never going to be self-sustainable. They're always going to require support from outside funding, funding from places like Grumlaw. Just one of these border stations, I'm going to explain why in just a second. I'm only giving stats for, for one of the border stations. In 2021, it counseled over 1,000 girls, rescued 145 women. 137 of those girls and women were reunited with their family. And 46 of those women were cared for personally by Our Daughters International. Now, now, the reason I can't give you stats on two border stations is because we just started sponsoring that second station here in 2022. And, and the reason, here's what I'm getting at, the reason we were able to even consider and, and then step out in faith to sponsor this second border station is because of all of you. It, it is because of community. That this local church in Grand Blanc and Heartland, Michigan, pooling their resources together so we can accomplish far more together than we could ever do in isolation. It's obviously not rocket science. It's far from a new concept, but compelling nonetheless. And so in that, I just want to invite you, if you call this place your church home, 
I, I want you to invite you to, to be a part of what this community of followers is doing. Play a role in what God is doing in and through his church. Uh, there are a handful of ways for you to give. You can go to grumlaw.com slash give, or you can text the word grumlaw to 94,000 and, and follow those prompts. But again, thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a generous church. Thank you to so many of you for being obedient in this particular area. So again, we can accomplish way more together than we ever could on our own. Well, today we are continuing in a series now that we have been in for six weeks titled Follow. Uh, if you're curious, this series is going to take us all the way here through the month of June, which means that if this is your first time walking through our doors or perhaps you've had a neuralizer used on you, remember those things, the men in black, they hold it in front of your face and like erases your memory. Try to make this like mildly compelling. You, you need to play some catch up, which you can conveniently do at grumlaw.com slash messages or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. Now, uh, I've had people ask me this, like, Shay, why do you mention this every single week? This whole like, go back and catch up. And, and here's why. Uh, I probably should say this more often. Uh, these are a collection of talks that are best consumed in conjunction with one another with each talk kind of building off of the last. There are things said in one week that aren't going to make a ton of sense without the context of previous weeks. Uh, in this particular case, this is really basically this series, uh, like a five-hour sermon that we've broken down into ten parts. And so for that reason, again, if you haven't been here for every week, I would again encourage you to go back and catch yourself up. But just in case you haven't been here for the entirety of the series, here is what we have been talking about. But believing is easy. You know, it's just not that hard to believe in Jesus, the guy who successfully predicted his own death and resurrection. And if that statement elicits an eye roll for you, consider the fact that Jesus was only on this earth for about 33 years, but yet here we are still talking about him some 2,000 years later. Something must have happened for so many people to still be talking about Jesus. And believe it or not, do the research yourself, it's out there, the most reasonable explanation is that Jesus actually rose from the dead, exactly as he predicted. But believing in Jesus is easy, but, but following is, is hard. As Jesus didn't shy away from speaking about during his time on earth, truly following Jesus is difficult. It is an all-out war waged against what comes natural to every one of us. It is rejecting the flesh and embracing the way of Jesus. It's handing Jesus the keys to your life and saying, okay, wherever you want to take me, I will go. Nothing is off limits. But he also tells us, I am worth it. That, that, that come the end of your life, and this is true for the Christian and the non-Christian alike, but what will quickly and sharply come into focus is the degree to which you leverage your life for him. The degree to which you leverage your life for the kingdom of God. In that moment, and I've been saying this, I'm going to keep saying it. In that moment, nothing else will matter. And for those individuals who truly follow Jesus during their rather temporary stay on this earth, they will undeniably declare Jesus was worth it. Jesus is worth it. So we've spent five weeks now with four more to go comparing and contrasting the way of our flesh, again, what comes natural to each of us versus the way of Jesus. So speaking to why following Jesus isn't just different, but better. But better not only for you, but certainly for all of the yous around you. 
Now, regardless this morning of where you find yourself on this whole faith journey, I'm confident that we can all find agreement on the point that we live in what we could call an age of deception, where the lines between truth and lies, fact and fiction, partial truth and like a complete version of truth have been at least muddied. Can, can we maybe all agree on that? Now, now, to be fair, this isn't actually anything new. I mean, you pick up a history book and you'll see that this has always been going on. I would just say it's a bit more glaring in our digital age where in real time we are having these half-truths, these lies, these tales of fiction delivered to our brains constantly in real time through most notably our phones. And, and one of the greatest and most damaging lies that we as a culture are swallowing wholesale right now as we navigate this digital age is we are more connected than ever. Right? Technology has afforded us opportunities to connect and given us community that previous generations could have only dreamed of. So social media in particular, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Snapchat, it is connecting the human race like never before, right? I mean, I checked this list last week. I have 2,092 friends on Facebook and 960 followers on Instagram. I mean, all of you are super impressed by that, right? Right? I can almost feel the hesitancy to applaud through the screen because... We are all actually already figuring out that while it may appear we're more connected, we're actually more isolated than ever before. And, and that's not just some hyperbolic statement that makes this message sound more applicable or more compelling. We actually have concrete data that shows us just how isolated we truly are. Countless studies have now shown us that the more time that you spend on social media, the more lonely you feel. Suicidality has increased by over 30% since the year 2000, with many drawing a direct line to the dawn of the internet and specifically, again, social media. It spiked to an all-time high during the pandemic. More on that in just a minute. The average American now spends on average seven hours a day staring at a screen, television, laptop, our phones. Now, now where was all that time being utilized prior to these glowing rectangles begging for our attention? Now, I'm certainly not going to make the case it was all with people with face-to-face -face interactions, but there are only 24 hours in a day. I mean, we can't change that. So it's safe to say that face-to-face -face relationships with other human beings has suffered. So, so all these factors directly contributing to our loneliness, to our isolation. And then recently, right, a worldwide pandemic conveniently comes along and pours gas on the dumpster fire. Forces even the most social, the most community-oriented people into at least more isolation than they were accustomed to. And, and I'm telling you, the evil one, and for some of you this is frankly going to sound creepy and weird, but, but the devil is alive and real and he is waging war against you that the evil one was licking his chops during those shutdowns. He, he had to have been giddy with excitement. But like my son with a $100 bill burning a hole in his pocket the first time the ice cream truck comes plowing down the street. But because the evil one's strategy has always been the same. Isolate, then lie. Isolate, then lie. You get you, get me, get us alone, and then whisper lies. Now, the infrastructure for the lies had already been laid down in our digital age. All he had to do was get us alone, which the pandemic forced upon all of us at some level. Now, let me acknowledge something. But perhaps you were leaning into this conversation right up to the point where I started talking about the devil and the evil one, and then you started tuning me out. But, but allow me to put this into a more plausible framework for you. And, and perhaps you've never really thought about it in these terms. 
When are you most likely, just think about you, this is about anybody else, just you. When are you most likely to believe a lie? When you're isolated or when you are in healthy community? Let's give a very practical example. Are you more likely to believe self-defeating thoughts, things like you're ugly, you'll, you'll never be good enough, you'll never lose that weight, she'll never be attracted to you, he'll never be attracted to you, you'll always be alone. When you're in the company of good friends or when you're sitting at home alone aimlessly scrolling through Instagram, and again, even more gas being poured on these thoughts by the fact that you're looking at some of the most perfectly airbrushed models seemingly having the time of their lives. Let, let's narrow it down even further. Think back to the course of your life. When were your worst decisions made? When did your biggest regrets occur? When you were in community or when you were alone? Now, you certainly might have been with the wrong person, with the wrong people. But, but come on, this is true of all of us. When you think about your worst decisions, you were either alone or in the presence of a person or people that you had a pretty good idea from the onset were going to be a bad influence on you. See, I've been doing this pastor thing here for just a little bit, but, but I have never to this point heard anyone start their story with, you know, so I finally signed up to get into one of those groups and it was there that I became addicted to porn. Never heard that story. You know, I really started to make these Sunday gatherings with other followers of Jesus a priority, and then I thought to myself, you know what, maybe I'll start committing some crimes. Never heard that story once, but instead, every single story sounds eerily similar. You know, I was going through a season of such loneliness, and then dot, dot, dot. Everything was going great, and then the pandemic came along, and I started dot, dot, dot. I mean, life was good, but I took that new job halfway across the country, and I was just having trouble meeting new people, so I dot, dot, dot. As it relates right here to the local church, people will always drift from people of faith before they drift from their faith. It is the same pattern every time. Isolate, then lie. Isolate, then lie, and repeat. And, and the reason this morning that I'm making such a big deal of lies is because lies are what give birth to sin. And if you don't like that word, just insert mistakes. Lies are what give birth to mistakes, and sin and mistakes give birth to regret and shame, which only further set us into a vicious cycle of self-destruction. Let's quickly go back to that example I used just a moment ago. But perhaps you had an absent father, or, or maybe a, a father who was technically physically present but never encouraged you. Maybe you had a nitpicky mother who would regularly throw in comments about your physical appearance. Perhaps for an extended period of time, you, you were in an abusive relationship, and so the lies, you're ugly, you'll never be good enough, you'll never lose that weight, she'll never be attracted to you, those lies run red hot. And because you start to believe those lies, you settle for the person that just wants to use you physically, which only further adds to your shame and your lackluster self-image. And the more rejection that you experience, the more lies you are likely to believe. 
Believing lies impacts every area of our lives. If, if our minds, if to use a more spiritual term, if our souls aren't right, every other area of our lives suffer. Lies are what give birth to regrets. I, I love how John Mark Comer in his recent book, Live No Lies, how he frames this. Honestly, one of the best books that I've ever read. Would highly, highly, highly recommend it if this is at all interesting to you. He, he says, lies distort our souls and drive us into ruin. And virtually every lie, every piece of deception whispered in your ear was birthed out of a lack of community a season of isolation, or surrounding yourself with people who you knew were going to be a bad influence on you. Now, here is what is really, really great and where this message takes a turn, I promise, for the better. God, your creator, knows that this is true of you. He knew that every single one of us would naturally, left to our own devices, drift towards isolation, and in turn, we would be more prone to believe lies that will quite literally ruin us. You want to know, in fact, to illustrate this, how many generations of people made it without falling into this pattern? You ready? It's a big number. Uh, it's, it's zero. Let's actually go all, all the way back to the beginning. If you grew up going to church, you're familiar with the story. If you didn't, I'll help fill in the blanks here. We have the first two people, right? Adam and Eve. God creates them from nothing, but he creates them as his image bearers. They are very, very good. First chance the evil, the devil one gets, he gets Eve alone, again, isolate, away from Adam, away from the voice of her creator, and then he whispers to her, that's not true. You will not die He's speaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree in the entire Garden of Eden where God said, hey, don't eat from this tree. I mean, everything else, it's up for grabs. This is just the one tree that you, you, we don't want you going near, so just stay away from, from that one. And, and Satan whispers the lie, that's not true. Surely you won't die. He plants this seed of doubt. God's holding out on you. You, you can't trust him. A lie that gave birth to an action, to a mistake, to sin, which in turn led to regret, shame, self-destruction. It drove Eve to ruin, and it's been wreaking havoc on our souls ever since. But God, rather than scolding us, rather than turning away from us, rather than pouring on even more shame and more embarrassment, he instead decides to extend the very thing that we deserve the least. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. In fact, when a complex, sacrificial, a complex religious system would inevitably fall short, and you can read all about that in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, it just wasn't working. God doesn't throw his hands in the air and say, forget it, I'm done with these people. He instead rolls up his sleeves and wades into the mess that we had created for ourselves. God moved forward with the most selfless, the most loving act that this world has ever seen, and he offered his son for your sin, for my sin, for our sin. And if that wasn't enough... He then left the redeeming hope that we find in Jesus in our hands. It's up to us, his 
followers to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, all within this beautiful community that Jesus set in motion and still leads, what we call the church. Now, the the problem for, for us in our American minds, when we hear the word church, we think of a building. But I'm telling you, that is not what Jesus intended. In fact, the original word that we get our English word church from is a Greek word, ekklesia. And ekklesia, more literally and properly translated, is gathering, assembly, community. It's talking about a community of people united in their devotion, or we could say it this way, united in our fellowship of Jesus. And though at many different points in the history of the church, we may have deviated from this, the church is supposed to serve two purposes. Number one, to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth in both word and in my voice and what I say, but I would say more importantly, at least as it relates to our first world American context, in our deeds. We touched on this last week. In fact, we spent a lot of time on this last week. As Jesus followers, we are called to show Jesus to a world who desperately needs him, placing others ahead of ourselves. And then the second purpose of the local church is community. See, Jesus is more for you than you've likely ever considered. Jesus knows, actually, that that left to your own devices, you will inevitably drift towards isolation. And, And then you will be far more likely in that isolation to believe the lies that are being whispered to you from all directions. And because your Savior is more for you than you realize, he gives us the gift that is community, the local church. It's not for his benefit. It's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. Now, now it's certainly, again, worth noting, uh, it's not within a church that you exclusively find community, right? I mean, in fact, you can find community with your golf league, your place of work, your kids' extracurricular activities, your neighborhood, and, and most of these are probably good things that you ought to participate in, that you ought to be involved in. In fact, let's not at Grumlaw become a group of people who become this holy huddle looking with a set of judgmental eyes from the inside out. But, 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 and this is important, there is an element of community that we all desperately need that is found exclusively within the local church, within the ecclesia. And it's worth noting, not every church gets this right. But we find this in a passage, uh, or at least a great example of this, in a passage in a letter titled Hebrews. Uh, We don't actually know who, who wrote Hebrews, but here in the 10th chapter, what we do know is that the writer is reminding us that more than anything else, We as the church, we as this faith community, as the ecclesia, are a people united in our faith in Jesus. And for those of you who are watching right now, and perhaps you're a little bit skeptical, you're skeptical of this this book that we call the Bible, you're still on the fence of this whole Jesus thing, I want to make this very, very clear. Around here, we do not believe in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, because the Bible, because a book tells us so. No, no, we believe in Jesus because John, who watched him die with his own eyes and then a couple days later had breakfast with him on the beach, tells us so. We believe in Jesus because Luke, who thoroughly investigated the events surrounding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and then wrote them down meticulously and interviewed eyewitnesses, made sure it was so. We believe in Jesus because the early church defied an empire and the temple because they were convinced it was so. 
And so with that, we go here to Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. The, the hope that's being referenced right here, don't overthink it, it's, it's Jesus. Because apparently some 2,000 years ago, the church experienced what we sometimes experience today. That, that, that people will sometimes get really fired up about Jesus for like 20 minutes. For those of you who grew up going to church, think back to those camp experiences when supposedly 500 kids would give their lives to Jesus in a single night, but then that passion quickly fades away almost as quickly as it came. As we've talked about ad nauseum in this series, it's the difference between simply believing and following. The, the, the writer is posing this question to us here, God is faithful, will you be? We live in an exceedingly non-committal society. As soon as something gets uncomfortable or as soon as you lose interest or it interferes with your agenda or your feelings, I'm out and I'm just gonna kind of go on to the next thing. But, but here as a follower of Jesus, we are encouraged to hold tight, to cling tight to Jesus. And then the writer offers us one of the primary agents to make that a reality. He continues and says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is really important. The us being referenced here and also in the previous verse is referring to the community of followers, the local church, the ecclesia. Y'all, the only way that you cling to the hope in Jesus long-term, the only way that your faith will be sustained in this life where following him is certainly not the most popular option is by intentionally stepping into community with other followers, not just believers because believing is far too fickle. Followers who encourage me when my faith is weak, I encourage them when they're struggling. While you drift, you're gently guided back towards Jesus amongst a community of followers. And then, and keep in mind, this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, that the writer offers us just a handful of examples that we would be wise to follow. He says, hey, encourage one another in selflessness. As we talked about last week, apparently selfishness isn't new to this generation living in the 21st century America. Again, we spent all of last Sunday talking on this one point, but perhaps the most basic, the most elementary and well-modeled teaching by Jesus himself was placing others ahead of oneself. And the writer here apparently understood that if we're not encouraging each other, if we're not modeling this to one another, we, we will inevitably regress to the norm, to the flesh, which will ultimately be our undoing. And furthermore, that the reason this is singled out here and elsewhere all throughout the New Testament lies in the fact that our world is not going to believe our message. They are not going to believe in Jesus unless it is preceded and validated, authenticated by our actions, our selflessness, our put you ahead of me actions. And then the second example we're given is physically gathered together to connect with God and others. It's what we do every single Sunday morning. It's what we do in groups. 
Even more important, actually, than Sunday mornings because you actually have the opportunity to get to know others and be known. It's the secret sauce behind serving, serving alongside other people in a community who are also drawing closer to Jesus because it's within the context of community that we encourage one another. When my faith is struggling, your faith lifts mine up. In isolation, inevitably, I tend to worship me. In community, we worship God. People always drift from people of faith before they drift from their faith. It's within a Jesus-loving community, the church, the ecclesia. And this draws us back to where we were speaking about earlier and what sets the church apart from all other community. This community connects us back to the unchanging truth, to God's truth. As I already mentioned, there are many different types and forms of community, and in nearly every one, you could probably draw something healthy, something good out of it. But it's within the church, the ecclesia, that we return to an unchanging truth that we all desperately need. As mentioned earlier, we are living in an age of deception. And without a higher moral authority for the ecclesia, we appeal to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and more specifically, his word, this book that we call the Bible. Without that higher moral authority, we are setting ourselves up for self-deception, ultimately our own failure and demise. This is especially important for those of us who recognize, as I said in that verse, the end is drawing near, that our time on this earth is temporary, that we are increasingly wandering further away from God's design, our creator's design. Without some sort of higher, without some sort of moral authority, truth becomes malleable. It becomes your truth and my truth, your boss's truth, your friend's truth, that post-truth, the news's truth. Truth becomes whatever the smartest person in the room says or whatever the article with the most shares, likes, and clicks says. And inevitably, the line between truth and lies becomes, well, as they say, YOLO, which is fine for entertainment, tabloids, and Instagram posts, and the news. But for all of us actually living in the real world, it is completely unmanageable, and it is driving us into ruin. You didn't need to show up here to know that. Your life has already demonstrated that to you. We constantly make decisions that aren't only what's best, not only for the people around us, they're not even best for you. We are all on a war path to our own self-destruction. We are capable of endless self-deception. We need people in our lives to help us see what we either can't, don't, or won't see. We need people encouraging us back to the truth, not just a version of truth. We need the Holy Spirit taking us by the hand amongst a community of people who have chosen to gather together, upholding unchanging truth even when it disrupts every bone in my body because we know on our own we will talk ourselves out of this text faster than a Tesla Roadster going zero to 60. You need my faith and you better believe that I need yours. We need community pulling us out of our isolation and pointing us towards our heavenly father. We need people lovingly showing us grace and mercy when we least deserve it, encouraging us back to our resurrected savior. We desperately need a community of people not just believing but following Jesus, selflessly following the example of their risen savior, constantly asking the question, no, 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 what's not best for me? What is best for the me beside me? And thus showing the love of Jesus, not just to the world, 
but to their fellow follower. We all desperately need community. And not just any community, but the church, the ecclesia, the community of followers who are committed to following the teachings of a rabbi who gave his life for you, but then rose from the grave. That is how desperately he is wants a relationship with you. That is how desperately he, he, he has longed to show his love to you. That is how much he is for you.